Hello, welcome to the Paralegal Voice. I am, of course, live recording on location from the 2019 NALA Conference and Expo in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, you guys have probably been listening to several of the little shows that I've been doing here the uh, past couple of days. Um, we're in full second day. I guess it's really our first full day of CLE, but it's the second day of the conference. We still have a whole other day of conference and education in Lazy River and Pool, uh, you know. You know later but of course um we've got to get our education in right i mean um i'm carl morrison i'm the host of the paralegal voice and um i am here with a couple of wonderful guests i'm going to introduce them in a second but first i want to um give a shout out to our sponsors nala of course nala has been our first sponsor or major sponsor since the very first show courtfiling.net Legal Inc. and Serve Now. So definitely, sponsors, thank you so much for your generous support. And listeners, please support our sponsors. Joining me now, I have Ken Buckner. He is an accident reconstructionist. And Anna Buckner, case manager, both from Collision Reconstruction Associates. Ladies and gentlemen, lady and gentleman, um, thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest on uh, this afternoon's show. Thank Welcome. you for having me. I appreciate thank for, it. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you guys so much. Greatly appreciate it. Um, so uh, for those listeners that maybe weren't here, and shame on you, should be here at the conference, of course. Um, Ken Buckner, he presented a couple of sessions uh, this morning, actually. The first one was entitled Motor Vehicle Event. Uh, oh, excuse me. No, actually, his first one was motor vehicle crash reconstruction. And then about an hour and a half later, he did motor vehicle event data recorders. Now, my background for those listeners, maybe you know this about me. I used to do uh, motor vehicle accident type cases, um, defense side, uh, trucking accident cases, um, some products liability in the way of major automobile manufacturers. And um, so I've got a, a special place in my heart for accident reconstructionists such as Ken. Um, but I wanted to interview you guys and kind of get your perspective about A, being an accident reconstructionist, a little bit about your background, and from the paralegal's perspective, case manager's perspective of working with an accident reconstructionist, what to look for. So we're going to first start with Ken. And uh, Ken, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit of background? Well, I initially started Collision Reconstruction Associates back in 2007. After 21 years of law enforcement, I retired. And initially, I went to work for a private investigator doing the accident reconstruction and decided later that if I was going to promote a product, I would promote mine. And so I formed my own company and have been doing motor vehicle accident reconstruction since then. Now my background in law enforcement also included working in undercover narcotics and also doing crime scene investigation. Wow. So it gives me a chance to still be a detective. I still get to do my accidents and I still get to do occasional crime scene work for both currently for uh, criminal defense attorneys, for public defenders, and then on the civil arena the plaintiff attorneys and defense attorneys. Okay. Um, I am a crime fanatic. I watch all the Netflix 
shows. I'm an armchair accident reconstructionist PI, uh, so I'm, I, I'm not an expert by any means, and I'm sitting here with someone that is truly a, a subject matter expert on this because of your experience and expertise. So um, I've got also Anna here. Now, Anna, um, I know Anna, and um, we've worked together in the past on State Bar uh, Paralegal Division. So Anna is a paralegal, but she's also the case manager for Collision Reconstruction Associates. And Anna, I kind of wanted to say first for you, give us a little bit about your background. I've been a paralegal now for over 20 years, and I work, did work 12 years in insurance defense. And I was the paralegal that would call and ask for a reconstructionist to produce a report for us. I would always, uh, before then, I had an expert directory to look through prior to the internet and the, the Google that <laughs> we have now. Back in the day, we used books and or by word of mouth mm -hmm. from referrals. So we would, I would call and ask for it and... To a certain point, we would shop around for the re reconstructionists that would work well with us. Right. And, and that's something that most paralegals, and especially new paralegals coming out, now they're the advent of technology and the internet and things of that nature. Um, it's a little easier to find, but back when you and I were first <laughs> kids doing this, um, we relied on networking. We relied on the little index directory of experts and why don't you give the listeners maybe two or three little tips on how do you go about finding an expert nowadays even with the advent of google how do you find a good reputable expert such as an accident reconstructionist i try to stay local as much as i can so i do utilize the internet the majority of the time because it will cut down on the costs associated with it and then after I find one that may fit our needs, then we do some research on the company itself and on the individual and what their background is and qualifications. Some are engineers. Some have the background of being a law enforcement officer and going through the training that way. Ideally, you want somebody that can fill all the niches that you need, but that's not always going to happen. From the accident reconstructionist standpoint, Ken, how do you promote yourself? How do you get out there besides having the typical standard web page and and you know things of that nature, social media? If you have social media account, how do you how do you get out there? Get your face out there. How do you get known? Well, initially, it was again through a website. Uh, but primarily, I had a lot of contacts after 21 years in law enforcement. Uh, some of the defense attorneys that I would be up against uh, as a deputy, they had left, say, the uh, public sector, if you will, public defender's office, and had gone into private practice. Some, you know, went to plaintiff's side, whichever, it didn't matter. So I had that to help me. But also the year right after I retired, I worked for, like I say, a private investigator, and so I used a lot of his contacts. Uh, after that, it was a matter of going around and knocking on the door and always taking little, little tidbits for the girls up front because, face it, if you don't get past the gatekeeper, 
you don't get to the people who, <laughs> right. who make the decisions. As a paralegal, we know that. That's right. <laughs> so, and then after that, it was primarily word of mouth. Right. Uh, if you continue to go do a good job, you should be continuing to work. But I, I have a theory that I practice, and that is that I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So if your, if your client is not being forthcoming with all of the information, and that comes out during the, the investigation or the reconstruction, you need to know that as soon as possible to, one, we're going to take this case in a different direction, or maybe you even need to terminate the relationship with the client. So... Saying and talking about this it kind of made me think of a question I really want to ask you in the light of challenges, you know, dealing with if their client is not going to be forthright with the attorney and the attorney's not going to be forthright with you, it's hard for you to be able to give a truly scientific, you know, expert qualified, you know, yes. opinion. So uh, what do you find to be your biggest challenge of working with lawyers and paralegals in that kind of aspect of, you know, getting all the right information, getting everything you need to be able to give a full opinion? Through the discovery process, I try to get as much information I can, whether it be police reports, witness statements, supplemental reports, depositions, and interrogatories, answers, criminal complaints, the, the normal stuff. Right. What I find a lot of times lacking is that I get the deposition. There's 120 pages of deposition. That's great. But somewhere in there they say, well, let's refer to plaintiff, plaintiff exhibit number seven. There's no exhibits. Mm-hmm. So now I have really no idea what they're talking about. That, that's one of the issues. Um, Failure to maintain evidence mm. is probably one of the biggest yeah. issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, they don't maintain the car. They allow it to be allow it to be repaired, released, totaled out. The insurance company has it. It's tied up. Whatever you can't get to it. If you don't have the evidence, you can't examine it. Right. And then you have to rely on what law enforcement did at the initial scene, and sometimes that's lacking also. Right. So. Anna, from the paralegal's perspective, same question. What are some of the challenges of working with an accident reconstructionist and working with an attorney besides all the other normal (laughs) challenges we deal with? But in the same vein that we're talking about with Ken. So, Anna, what are some of the challenges you see? Um, I like to give the reconstructionist or any expert, for that matter, everything and anything they would possibly need up front. A challenge I have is some attorneys, are they don't need that. They don't need this. They don't need that. Well, the more information they have, the better job they can do for us. Working with a reconstructionist that doesn't give me their whole list of what they need is a challenge, too. So, for example, I'm one that will start in a storybook fashion. Here's the police report. This is what led to the complaint. Here's the answer, amended answer. Here's your interrogatories. Here's the responses to them, requests for discovery. All of that is provided to the expert to make their job as easy or run more smoothly. Not easy, but run more smoothly. Right. And then if they do need something in more detail, I usually have it or I can research it and find what they need. So the challenge could be not having a reconstructionist or an expert 
just tell me what they need up front. And that's a, a big thing for a paralegal to know, especially listeners that are kind of new or maybe stepping into the civil litigation world dealing with an accident reconstructionist or any expert, like you said, Anna. The, the understanding that you may have to find out, ask the questions, ask the questions of the expert. What is it that you need in order to give the opinion that you need? Get the list from them. Then correspond with your respective supervising attorney and go, okay, you know, Ken says that he needs the following things, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And the attorney says, well, he doesn't need E and he doesn't need G. Okay, well, perfect. Some attorneys, it's a cost issue, I know, that the reason why they don't always want to give some things up front, you know, but it's also the paralegal. To me, it's the paralegal's duty to ensure that they talk to and not always question. You know your boss better than I do, but I will say as a recommendation, question and go, okay, well, can you explain to me why E and G don't need to be given to the expert? And nine times out of 10, it's a valid reason and you understand and you go, okay, got it. I'm going to give him these things. And then like you can, you get your list of stuff. You see you're missing E and G. Hey, I'm missing E and G. Do you not have that? Well, then, then the attorney can turn around and say, hey, the reason why I didn't want to give it to you is because of this. It's privileged or it's because of A, B, C, D, F, G, whatever the reason is. But. The, the, then it's very understandable. One of the other drawbacks that I get is I get photographs. Mm-hmm. I love photographs. Photographs tell a, a great story. Sometimes I get those photographs as PDFs. And they're really hard to work with, or I will get black and some white copies of photographs, which depict a, a, a lot of nothing. It's hard to discern things on, on things like that. So if I can at all get the original or copies of the original digital images, the videos, anything that's like that, that greatly helps me and saves me a lot of time, frankly. And that's, you know, we're talking about, and in my mind, all I'm hearing myself scream to myself is communication. Communication is the key. And as a paralegal, it's vitally important that you communicate. Communicate with you, Ken, as the expert, uh, case manager, Anna, um, the attorney. Communication is vitally important because you don't want to slow down the process. You want to make sure that, that as the expert, you're able to get all your stuff and quickly and, and accurately and, you know, get everything you need to do to be able to give the report. Because we all know there's a deadline that is attached to when that report has to be drafted and submitted and, and exchanged with opposing parties. So communication, communication. I'm going to say this one more time. Communication. communication. <laughs> Very much. And that is true, Carl. I mean, Anything that we do, we have to communicate because as paralegals, we work under the guidance and direction of an attorney. Correct. Absolutely. And if we don't communicate with them and they don't give us that guidance and direction, we're not getting anywhere. And we're not helping the attorney. We're not helping the client. Right. Absolutely. So it's very vital. Communication is very vital. So um, I was in another session and um, there's an app for the listeners that um, is attached with this particular conference that we're in. So there's all the message boards and post, people posting pictures from their sessions they're attending. And I was doing mock trial this morning while your, Ken, your two sessions were going on, which I really wanted to go to. And I was torn between which one to go to. Um, but I saw someone post pictures of um, 
the actual, what I call, the black box. Oh, the black box. <laughs> so what is a black box? For someone that may be new, what is a black box when I say that? Okay. The black box in the automotive industry is something, it, it was a name that was applied to an event data recorder by the media. Now, the term refers back to the airlines, uh -huh. which is a recording device that records all of the airplanes, uh, mechanical issues, the voice data recorder, everything. So if it's going on in the airplane, it's being recorded during the entire flight time. Right. They, the media has applied that term to the event data recorder. So you have all this misinformation out there that it is Big Brother spying on you. <laughs> they know what you did last night. They know what your conversation was. They know where you were, uh, the date, the time, <laughs> all this kind of misinformation. When in reality, what it does is it takes a snapshot of a period of performance of that vehicle mm -hmm. at a given time. What time? We don't know. That's part of the analysis process is, is making sure that that data is for this crash that we're looking at. Um, it is a small box, maybe an inch high, three or four inches square. It's usually bolted somewhere in the center of the vehicle, either on the, 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 the drive shaft tunnel or under the front driver passenger mm -hmm. seat. And it's in a very secure location. So that's basically it in a nutshell. It's funny because exactly what you, I've, like I said, I've done this before. So I, I know what a black box, the black box is. And I put it, I'm using air quotes here, folks, but the black box, the, the EDR um, is, and it's not what people think it is. It's really just a snapshot of a particular period in which, and it's, it could be the braking. It could be the fuel injection. It may be recording specific things and performance about the vehicle at a specific time. And it's your job as the, you know, accident reconstructionist to look at that data, analyze it, and determine what is it saying yes. about the particular vehicle. And it's funny because I've been doing this for a long time. Back in the early days when the advent, I remember when the advent of the EDR was happening and that it was very simple. The type of data that it was recording was, and now you think about vehicles within the past manufacturer two, three years, there's a lot of different things that it can record depending on. Correct. When the EDR <laughs> was initially used 1996 with General Motors vehicles, it recorded like say very little data. Okay. And we would get a report that is maybe three or four pages, and at least one solid page of that was what's called hexadecimal data, which if you're a program coder, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, then if you go to today's vehicles, I may get a report that is 65, 70 pages long. It will record everything from steering angle, roll rate, uh, rotational velocity, delta V, brake switch status, uh, speed percent throttle, braking, such a variety of things you can't hardly even name them anymore. 
So paralegals that are listening, don't panic, don't freak out when you're hearing all this stuff. Um, that's why we have the Ken Buckners of the world to assist us in understanding and breaking it down and being the translators to the data that we deal with. So um, we're getting, you know, pretty much end of my show. I always have a fun question that I have to ask my guests. So I get to ask two different fun questions. <laughs> So, Anna, start with you. Ladies first. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) If there was going to be a movie about your life, and I'm going to say, I'm going to narrow it to a certain period of your life, in your 20s, who would be the lead actress to play Anna Buckner? Who would you want to play your role if you could be Aaron Brockovich? <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Oh, good one. And why? I've always liked that woman. I could see. I'm sitting here looking at, and I'm going, I could see Catherine Hepburn playing you. <laughs> yes, that's a good choice. I, yes. <laughs> She's a classic, classy Classic and classy actress and she woman. Is. She is. Okay, I'm going to ask you a hard one, Ken. Okay. <laughs> You're in the hot seat. So, you got a box of Crayola crayons. What color would you be and why, if you had to pick a color? What color crayon would you be? That... It's not, that, that is a tough one. We're going to narrow the box of Crayola because we're going to go not from the 128 thing with the, with the little sharpener, sharpener in it. We're right. going to go to the little eight box. Okay, one. perfect. Eight colors. Perfect. You so we're going to go with <laughs> primary colors. I would say probably, I'm going to say red. Okay, you're going to laugh because I was thinking in my head red. I could see you saying red. So why red? One, one has to be bold in a lot of things that mm-hmm. they do, and red to me symbolizes being bold and wanting to get out there and do things. Uh, although one of my favorite colors is blue, blue reminds me of being passive. Um, I am not real passive. I tend to be somewhat aggressive, which would be indicated by my military and uh, law enforcement career. So <laughs> I think that's why before the show, you and I were talking and Anna and I were talking. It's like, yeah, I could probably red because it is a bold color. And I see you as a very bold individual. So thank you. Um, listeners, that's all the time we have for today's show. Um, I want to thank both you guys to Ken Buckner and Anna Buckner um, of Collision Re- Reconstruction Associates uh, for being my guests on today's show. So if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, have any questions, how would they do that? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Generally via telephone for me. Okay. Uh, that phone number is area code 775, number 622-4128, or through my website, which is being currently rebuilt, should be up at the end of the month. And that website address would be www.cranevada.com. Fantastic. Anna, same? Same contact Same contact information. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
practice. If you have paralegals, if you have any questions, definitely, um, and shoot them to me as well, but uh, definitely reach out to them. So thank you guys so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. So that's all the time we have for this episode of the Paralegal Voice brought to you by the generous support of NALA, courtfiling.net, Legal Inc., and ServeNow. Thanks again, once again, to the sponsors. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you really like what you've heard, definitely you do, of course. Please write and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Of course, I'm Carl Morrison, the host of The Paralegal Voice. And if you have any questions of me or the guests, you can send them to me as well. Um, send them to devotedtolaw at gmail.com. That's D-E-V-O-T-E-D, the number two, L-A-W at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.